This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Before we get going today, I just want to thank you for listening to this podcast and supporting all the podcasts that I've put together over the more recent years. You know, it all started with Woo Nation on Play.it with the nature boy himself, Ric Flair. Then we branched out on our own and did the Ric Flair show and then something to wrestle and then what happened when. And then somehow I got a hold of Eric Bischoff for 83 weeks and then Grill and JR. And now the Arn Show. And you guys have hung in there with me. And I appreciate all of the support a great deal. But in my real life, I really am the mortgage guy. And I'd love to help your family save some money too. It's what I take the most pride in that I do in my professional life. I help families get out of apartments and get into homes. They're going to give their kids a backyard to, you know, or let a dog run around or a front yard to play catch a real house to make memories in and to help families who already have a house realize their financial goals. The biggest of which is to be debt free. And I'm not just talking about car payments and credit cards. I mean, I really want you to pay your house off. I think so many people just sort of go through life, assuming that that mortgage payment is going to come out of their checking account forever, but it doesn't have to be that way. I want to show you how to pay your house off and do it with cheaper monthly payments. I've literally helped thousands of families do this, and I'd be proud to help you do it since you're a part of our wrestling family here, man. Thanks for supporting us. Let me see if I can help you in another way and go to savewithconrad.com right now. If you've got credit card debt, I know I can help you out. Your average interest rate on a credit card is more than 20% in America right now. You know, that's too high. And of course the interest you pay on those credit cards is not tax deductible. You're just working for that money and then throwing it away. Keep more of your own money and go to savewithconrad.com right now. First of all, get you a better rate. Secondly, we'll get you a greater tax deduction. See the interest you pay on your mortgage is tax deductible. But most importantly, if you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much. And we've routinely helped our podcast listeners who have credit card debt, say five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. But man, our folks who listen and, and they have a 30 year loan, I can help you save 50, 60, 70, even $100,000 worth of unnecessary interest. Find out how much you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Because we're licensed in more than 40 states, I can help more families than ever before. Tell me how I can help your family right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And oh yeah, no house payments for two months at savewithconrad.com. Hey, what's up? This is Tony Schiavone. You're listening to Arn, my good buddy, Arn. One of the great slapdicks of all time, Arn. And be sure to catch this week's What Happened When, each Wednesday on Westwood One.
right here on Westwood one. And of course the man of the hour is the founder of the four horsemen, the hall of famer himself, the enforcer, double a Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Uh, it's cold. It's actually really cold here in Charlotte. I'm great though. Cause I'm indoors. Yeah. It's really weird. It's unseasonably cold. Even here in Alabama, I think it's like 19 degrees today. So it's weird. Us Southerners are not made for this, but, uh, luckily we've both got somebody to snuggle up with. And a lot of that is because we know to hate Steven singer. You heard me. I hate Steven singer and you should too, because he makes Valentine's day so easy. And we're actually bringing you the best Valentine's day gift ever from Steven singer and Arn. picture this, a real long stem American beauty rose lavishly and deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. It's going to last forever and starts at just 59 bucks. It'll never wilt or die. It doesn't need water, but this is something unique, something special, something that's going to last forever. It comes with your own personalized love note in Steven's signature gift box, all shipped for free, starting at just $59. Go see what we're talking about right now at I hate Steven singer.com. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Steven singer jewelers. This is a gift she'll cherish forever. And we are talking about a rumble today that, well, we are not going to cherish forever. We're going in our way back machine, but not that far back just five years ago. And I remember this one, like it was yesterday. Royal rumble, 2015 went down on January 25th at the Wells Fargo civic center, right there in Philadelphia, PA. That was in fact, the 28th Royal rumble. It drew a capacity crowd or it felt like it at 14,000 in attendance, but man, the, uh, the moving parts around this show and you know, the, the debate was uh, a pretty hot topic amongst fans. We'll get into it. Let's talk about it. Daniel Bryan was out with a neck injury around this time. Tons of rumors that he's going to be coming back at the Royal rumble. Meltzer would even say the return of Daniel Bryan at the Royal rumble on the 25th in Philadelphia would in theory solve some WWE problems, but it could exacerbate existing ones. Brian Danielson's career has been considered very much in jeopardy when after what was thought to be a minor neck operation that would have him back in the ring in two months, wound up not regaining strength in his right arm to the point that his career was considered very much in jeopardy. Danielson was scheduled in August to undergo a second uh, neck surgery to attempt to alleviate the nerve problems that caused the weakness. And just before the surgery, his doctors advised against it. He has since been doing extensive rehab, acupuncture, and other treatments. But for several months, the strength didn't come back. And Danielson credited a doctor in Denver who he didn't name for repairing his problem that will now allow him to return to the ring. Uh, we didn't believe it at first. He said in an interview for WWE, it's one of those things where you're like, this guy's not for real, right? But he was for real. And then the doctors told me I was cleared and the inner circle in WWE, which didn't know if he could return at all. were aware that he was going to be able to return about three weeks ago. And the decision was made to have him start back at the rumble. So Aaron, there's a lot to unpack here, but when we're talking about somebody having some, some neck issues, some back issues and you know, them not regaining feeling in their arm, man, some of that's probably resonating with you. Is it not? Well, if you want to talk about this subject, I'm your man. So when you lived it, when, when you hear that this is the issue, do you have a conversation with Daniel about it? I mean, you're uniquely qualified in this case. And you know, you had your career cut short to a very, very similar situation. You got a, your heart goes out to him in a time like this. I'm sure. Well, Daniel and I, 
had several, and I would say probably more than several conversations. Every time I saw him, I would pull him aside, ask him how he was doing, ask him how his progress was, let me see the atrophy, you know, and all those things because he was living exactly what what I live today and was living then and all throughout that injury. It's a, it's an ongoing effort. Um, the difference was with Daniel is he met this guy in Denver and, and after going through this extensive therapy and I know the kind of guy Daniel Bryan is, I'm sure he did three times the rehab that he was scheduled to do because in our business, your product is your body. Right. And, uh, you know, you got to get out there and, and, and put yourself on TV and you got to be performing and you're only as good as your last match. And, you know, when he's in the back, it doesn't matter about where the target date may be to start back and all that, or it, it's more about how's your progress doing. And he had all these really negative situations where he met with the doctors and they're going, forget about it, forget about it, forget about it. And he just kept his nose to the grindstone and kept, you know, doing his rehab and doing all those things. And I guess this guy in Denver was a miracle worker. It's really remarkable that he is coming back. And, and most of our listeners remember he had, you know, set the wrestling business on fire back in 2013. He kept that momentum going into 2014. He was not the original plan for the main event of WrestleMania that year in new Orleans. But eventually Vince acquiesced to the audience and they got their moment and quite a moment it was, but he came in banged up and, uh, that, that rain was cut short, much shorter than anybody would have imagined. And now we're still dealing with that. So fans didn't really get the closure on their push that they were looking for, or hoping for with Daniel Bryan. When you think back to 2013 and, uh, just to jog your memory, we had Daniel Bryan win the world title at SummerSlam that year, but then Randy Orton would cash in and immediately take the title with a little bit of help from triple H. Um, and then famously that WrestleMania is the one where when, when CM Punk learned of the creative, he decided to leave. When you look back on that time, is that one of the more pivotal moments in modern WWE history where you know, it doesn't feel like Vince is listening to the audience or the office isn't listening to the audience and they're not giving them what they want with Daniel Bryan. And it's even creeping into the locker room when a guy like CM Punk says, that's enough. I'm out of here. What do you remember about that time? Just in the back and in, in within the company. Well, just skipping ahead before we go backwards, I would think if I'm CM Punk, I would look at Daniel Bryan as a case in point of looking into a crystal ball at my future. Right. I would think, uh, now skipping back to Daniel Bryan, he was, there was no magic to Daniel Bryan. You know, this is a, this is an industry and you know, it has a lot of fans that are very loyal. Um, those fans expect a lot, but they're willing to give a lot. And, uh, when they see a guy like Daniel Bryan, who is not the biggest guy in the dressing room, not the strongest, but is the guy that works the hardest, work his way up from the bottom all the way, you know, through the indies, 
through paying his dues and all of those things and starting and going through the tough enough scenario and all that deal, listening to the, oh, he's not short, he's, he's not tall enough, he's not big enough, he doesn't have a great body, all those negatives that he had to fight through to get the people in his back pocket. And it was just through hard work. It was just Daniel Bryan was being a blue collar. You want me to pay my dues? I got no problem. And he paid them. And the audience got with it. And the groundswell started to pick up. And it was like a snowball rolling down a hill. It just, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the people got with him, Conrad, to be honest with you, because he was just a hell of an overachiever and a hell of a performer. That's the only magic that he worked. And he gave it to them every time they saw him. He would go out and bust his ass. And that was the uh, that was what he brought to the table, and it worked. It was not a bunch of magic. It wasn't a bunch of smoke and mirrors. He wasn't turning an 18-wheeler over or anything like that. He just went out, and every time you saw him, he gave you a hell of a match, and that's what he brought to the table. Talk to me a little bit about you know the behind-the-scenes political situation. We've been led to believe as fans that you know, certain voices behind the scenes sort of have their guys. And I hate to use the term because it's associated with a, a manager and, and, a, and, a, and an on air relationship, but you need an advocate in the back almost. And, um, for whatever reason, sometimes that works. And sometimes it just annoys Vince uh, to the point that he'll just go the other way, uh, just to piss off whoever that advocate is. Did you ever see anything like that with Daniel Bryan? Was there somebody behind the scenes who was really waving the banner for him saying, this is our guy, this is who we should be pushing here? Well, I know this, you had all the producers pulling for Daniel Bryan because we saw it not only at just television where you can look at TV with all the pomp and circumstance and all the stuff blowing up and all the wonderful lighting and all the great music cues and all that magic that you work to make a television show something special. When you get to a live event, you see what you really have. And there was no change with Daniel Bryan. When his music hit, the roof came off the place, all the way to the ring, they stayed with him throughout the match, and they were with him when the match was over. And so we were all advocates of this guy's getting over the old-fashioned way. He's earning it. And when you get over that way, you stay over. See, that's the that's the difference. There's no magic being done. That, that when you take the magic away, you don't have anything remaining. Daniel Brown was a blue-collar guy that was getting over because he was going out and grinding it out, and the audience was getting behind him, and uh, it was working. You know, there was always going to be those people, whoever they are, you know, you never have that conversation, okay, Yay or nay, Daniel Bryan? Can I show a hands? You know that didn't didn't right. occur. Sure. Uh, you know what I mean, right? Uh, but you know, there's there's always been this cosmetic thing with with that company with WWE cosmetics. It's almost the most important thing. Well, I tell you what, it, when you look in the mirror, you look good. And you're probably doing everything right for your health today, but if you're not planning for the what ifs of tomorrow, well, it's time you do. The problem is historically, and rather ironically, the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. And that's not some sort of conspiracy. 
That's just how life insurance works until now introducing health IQ. You see health IQ uses both science and data to help secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. Maybe you're a runner. Maybe you're into CrossFit or you're a cyclist. Maybe you're vegan or vegetarian. If you're putting in all this hard work, you deserve to be rewarded with more affordable life insurance and health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risk for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And by the way, health IQ is not just a lead generator. They're going to take you through the entire process of applying and even help you get the policy underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But the savings, now the savings is exclusive to health IQ. You won't find this deal anywhere else and you must qualify in order to get a special rate to see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash ARN and take the proprietary health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you could save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash ARN to let them know that we sent you and start the process with their health IQ quiz. Again, there's no commitment and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One last time, that's healthiq.com forward slash Arn. And, uh, Arn, if there's one thing that you and I agree on, it's that everybody needs life insurance and why not get a better deal here? Right? Absolutely. You know, those guys are working hard to make this thing as affordable as possible. And it's, if you don't take care of your family after you're gone, then you're a real dipshit. <laughs> HealthIQ.com <laughs> forward slash Arn. Uh, let's talk about our build here. We're coming off the lowest non-holiday episode of Raw in two years. And as a result, the company is going to do a shakeup here, which is bringing Triple H and Stephanie back to power. That's real. That's the plan. Uh, Meltzer would write, the basic framework of John Cena having to save, save Edge by allowing the authority to return had been in the cards for some time. It wasn't a reaction to the ratings that had happened on this show. It had been very clear from when Vince McMahon said the only person who would bring them back is Cena. And it would be a scenario where Cena would of course bring them back. The only argument is that it was too soon after pushing the survivor series around a company changing stipulation. The issue is now we're only reneging on that stipulation five weeks later. It is too early in theory. Perhaps it will hurt in selling future stipulation matches, but it's a different era. So the fact that it hurt the company's past doesn't mean it will now. That's a totally different wrestling economy, but it was going to happen. Football is over. Ratings will be bouncing back, not just a month from now. And the final angle on the show saw Big Show holding Edge's head in place on top of Rollins' briefcase with Rollins threatening to curb stomp him. And Rollins said this would make him a paraplegic. And, uh, he's a husband and a father now. And then Cena came out and Rollins told him he's useless unless he allowed the authority back and, uh, they tease the curb stomp, but then Cena says they could come back. Rollins says he's going to curb stomp him anyway. That leads to Cena hitting the ring and cleaning house edge gets away and Rollins curb stomps Cena. So an interesting scenario here, but the, the gist is, Hey, it's WrestleMania season. We got to have John Cena back, and we need somebody to hate on. So, what's uh, what's Stephanie and Triple H doing? Is that basically the gist? Well, you describing that whole scenario by using the word "interesting" is interesting to me. I might have used another adjective, but 
anytime you go on TV and you list stipulation out there, your word should be good, right? Yeah. When you double back on it, doesn't it put a little bit of a rough edge on your credibility? Yeah. I I mean, I can't argue that at all. (laughs) Or is it me? Is it just me? I think, I think wrestling folks have always just given a pass and they just say, well, it's wrestling. But I mean, if the steps don't matter, then, then we shouldn't care about future steps. That's certainly the precedent that we've set with our audience. Yeah, that's, and you know, I guess my problem is Conrad, just to be honest with you is I'm not sitting here and know it all and a, and a really, uh, intelligent, articulate master of the business. I'm just a wrestling fan, just like everybody out there. And when you say something from a company standard, this is not just some talent out there getting themselves over or getting heat on themselves or developing credibility or saying something that's going to be good. When you say it as a company, you should probably stand behind it and probably make your word good. Because I mean, I'll just skip ahead to right now. What this year would make you want to watch the draft? You mean the, uh, the NFL draft? Nope. I mean the WWE draft. I didn't have anything that made me want to watch the draft this year. Because my point is on steps, you know, what I saw last year was, okay, you're going to be traded here. You're going to be traded here. You're here. You're here. You're there. You're here. Oh, but by the way, we're going to have a special stipulation. What was it called? Yeah. Where you can just hop show to show. Yeah. Anyway. So I guess my point is, you know, you build up to this big, big draft, all this talent go to SmackDown's the only place you can see them. All these go to raw. That's the only place you can see them. And if you're stuck to that, you would help develop your brands. You would see what your loyalty is. You would see which one they prefer, but we you know, Roman Reigns hopping back and forth. Yeah. He's a big star and yeah, they want to see him on, on both shows, but why have a draft? Right. So uh, doubling back to the steps and all this stuff, it, it just, you know, it was just part of a hot shotting campaign. And I know the company was trying to jog business and, and, and all those things, but I don't know. I just believe your word should be good on some stuff. It's, uh, you know, the word I used was interesting, but we're back to John Cena as, as the top guy and the savior of the company. And we're back to Stephanie and triple H as the top heel act. Do you think we have, uh, we've sort of milked both of those cows dry at this point. They were great in that capacity. They really were. And they got a lot of heat and there's no bigger heel on earth than Stephanie McMahon. She's just, she's great in that role. Hunter was good in that role. Yes, but it had been stretched out and it was you know, go to that well so many times. The new was off of it. You know, um, the bloom was off of the rose. And it just, you know, it was just going back to the same hold a couple of too many times. You know, especially because when they are in that power position, there's nothing you can really do to them that makes sense anyway. Right. So agreed, Yes going back to that same old was, was a little too much. The, uh, the other thing that's worth mentioning 
is and this is directly from Meltzer's report. He says, here's an interesting stat courtesy of moronball.com. In 2014, which is the year we're coming off of here, there were 52 Raws. And out of those 52 Raws in the TV main event, only 18 ended with a clean finish. What makes that number scarier is a lot of those Raws put an interview segment in the main event position. And on those shows, the main event, quote unquote, isn't even a match with top guys. And those match matches almost always have finishes. So when you've got a real main event, the percentage is really even lower than that. During one 11 week period earlier in the year, there was only one clean finish in the final match on raw later in the year. They had an eight week streak without a clean finish. This feels like a departure from what the business was built on. We're not paying off and honoring stipulations and oh yeah. We're also not doing clean finishes as an agent. Were you guys ever discussing? Did you find yourself discussing whether or not you had do, done too many, uh, screw job finishes and, 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 and maybe you needed to get back to the basics. Well, we had, we all had opinions about what we were doing wrong. Um, I've never been a proponent of putting your top guys who are in an angle on TV in a match and beating each other. If I'm going to give it to you for free and you can sit in your living room and do it, why are you going to spend 300 bucks to take your family and go see it happen live? Right. That's the whole difference in a house show and television. You get however many matches there are eight. Let's just say there are eight. You get eight short stories with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And at the end of each match, there is a conclusion. Television, especially in the three-hour watching adventure age, if I'm going to sit there for three hours and watch a show and see the same talent probably twice before you got to the main event, when those matches were put in the main event slot, which is last on the show, and then you don't get a finish anyway, that's a long time to sit there and have no satisfaction. Then I think it was discovered that no matter what you do, that last 45 minutes or so, people are turning off, going to bed. They got to get up, go to school, go to work, all that stuff. So they were putting some of the less than top, top stuff on last. Well, people were DVR in it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, there were a lot of situations where I felt there's a lot of talent in that locker room that are middle guys all the way down to underneath guys, but that had talent and could go out and give you an interesting competitive match, um, you know, and keep some fresh faces on that show and keep your top, top guys and the top, top angles in reserve for the, that's what your pay-per-views were for to get satisfied on that angle that had been built. There was a time, Conrad, where we're doing 20, 22 pay-per-views a year. Yeah. That meant you had to finish your pay-per-view in some instances. Now start an angle, build an angle, 
and blow another angle off in three weeks. Now you're a smart guy, obviously. That's a lot. A lot smarter than a lot smarter than I am. Tell me how you do that. Well, not very well. You know what you end up doing? Blowing through all your matchups. Yeah. So all those dream matches that you had, and I know we're getting a little bit off the subject here, but I think it's all relative that, yeah. that, that people need to understand, you know, to, to finish a pay-per-view with whatever, you know, all the stories you wanted to button up and tie up and, and finish up to start to finish with that pay-per-view and three weeks later, having to have start angles built angles and blown them off three weeks or sometimes two weeks. You have no idea how difficult that is. And I would venture to say impossible. The, uh, the business has changed and evolved a lot since you've been in it. I mean, once upon a time, it was all about just selling, you know, tickets to the arena. So you, you know, you would only have promos and enhancement matches on TV you'd have your competitive matches at the live shows. And then of course, when, you know, pay-per-view becomes a thing, it becomes, well, now we're selling pay-per-views and tickets. But if there was TV, like back in the day, Bruce used to say the goal was never to have a clean finish on Saturday night's main event. It was to tease, uh, that matchup and let people have a, a glimpse of it. And then they had to come out to the arena if they wanted to see it. But that evolved, I feel like, and I think a lot of that is because of Nitro. I think that everybody sort of had to up their game a little bit when Monday Night Raw started, but Nitro certainly took it to another level. And I think the expectation from fans changed in time as well. And I do think that, you know, not having clean finishes in your main event, if if it's never a clean finish, it becomes very predictable. And Eric Bischoff thinks that the one critical thing to making wrestling exciting is the unpredictability. But if they know, well, it's going to be interference or it's going to be a DQ or it's going to be a count out. If it's not going to be a, a quote unquote clean in the middle finish, that becomes rather formulaic as well. Does it not? Of course it does. And sometimes, you know what the shocker is? Put a guy against the main event guy, which appears on the surface to be an enhancement match. Right. But guess what? The other guy goes over. He's not involved in the guy's angle whatsoever. He was put out there as a tackling dummy. That's what you would think you're looking at as you watch that. And, hey, there may be some people that go, well, that's just you know, steamroll this guy because of positioning, not because of talent, not because of ability, but just because of where they're positioned. He's going to steamroll this guy. I'm not going to watch this. And if he clicks off and he hears the next day at work that the other guy won, wouldn't that be something you would, you would go, Oh God, why did I, it was just another 10 minutes. Why didn't I stay up and watch that? Sure. You know, you can restructure your audience that way. And you know, it, I'm not saying you shouldn't have top guys against top guys in the main event. I'm just saying don't have that top guy who in 30 days or however many days it is, is wrestling them at, the, at this pay-per-view. Let's don't give it away for free because I've seen it three times, and now I would like you to pay $55 to see it again prior to the network when you were paying pay-per-view prices. That's all I'm saying. Put another guy that's in that spot 
with two top guys and then let them go and have a winner and have a loser. That's all. Let's talk about Randy Savage. It comes out around the same time in the January, 2015, that his long overdue wait to join the hall of fame is coming to an end. He's going to become a hall of Famer at WrestleMania that year. You knew Randy for a long time, at least going back to your first run in the WWF, if not before, uh, what was your reaction when you heard the news that one of the great icons of the business is finally going in? Same as everybody else way overdue. You know, Randy had a Randy had a little bit of an aloofness to him. I always found Randy though to be a straight shooter when you wanted to have a business conversation with him. He's not the type guy that would just sit around and bullshit with you in the afternoon and laugh and yuck it up. You know, Randy was always more serious, you know. He always looked like he was heading to a meeting with whoever the boss was, whoever he's working with, whether he was or not. He could have been heading to catering. Who knows? But he had that game face on. And a lot of people that intimidated, a lot of people didn't understand it. I didn't try to understand it. I just knew that when I was going to have a business conversation with him, I got a business conversation and a business answer. That's all you can ask. As far as the character, Randy Savage, my God, he was bigger than life. He was one of the superstars that will live in infamy. And, uh, you know, 50 years from now, when, when people are talking wrestling, oh, I'll remember Macho Man Randy Savage. He'll be in the same sentence with Hogan and Flair and Shawn Michaels and all these other guys. You know, he was just a bigger than life superstar. Everybody has their theory as to why he didn't go in the hall of fame sooner. What say you, why don't you think he went in before he did? Well, it's not a theory. I'm sure somebody felt betrayed. Somebody wanted to hold that back and, you know, almost like a punishment. Who knows? Um, Anytime you look at the Hall of Fame and you look at who's in and who's not in, everybody in the room is going to have a different slant on that conversation. The fact was, for me, it's real simple. The Hall of Fame. Start with the guys that deserve to be in there that wrestled long, long, long time ago. And then work your way forward. Don't skip around and put a guy in there that's, you know, been in the business 12 years and been retired three. When you got a guy that was, you know, in the business 35 years ago and had a 15-year career, do it in order. That would clean up a lot of issues, I think, in people's minds. Hard to argue that. Let's keep it going here. About a week before the Royal Rumble, WWE announces they have new broadcast teams. Raw is going to have Michael Cole, Booker T, and John Layfield. SmackDown is going to have Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and Byron Saxton. Uh, Todd Phillips, who had been doing SmackDown, is the odd man out. Uh, did you have a preference? Did you have a favorite duo or, or team or combination in this era? No, and, I, and I'll tell you. They all did a great job, if you ask me. I'm, we've been through this discussion before. That's a much maligned job. You get nothing but grief, and 
those guys a very difficult job to do and do well. And they have nothing but respect for me uh, to not, you know, to do all the things that a good announcer does not step on each other, cover all the dates, the times, the stats, blend in with the other announcers and, and make the thing flow and, and cover the action, the little bit that you're allowed to cover the action you know, and fit that in somewhere too. You know, it's a very difficult job, and I think all those guys did a very good job at that. Let's keep it moving here, and let's talk about uh, a deal that was started by WWE. It says, according to Meltzer, Rogers has finalized the deal with Bell Center for distribution of the televised version of the WWE Network, which starts broadcasting on January 15th. I'm told this deal will definitely increase subscriptions. Because those at Bell have been reporting that the network has been heavily requested. It will likely be as successful as the launch on Rogers, which was a success as well. Uh, Canada has always been a big part of WWE's business. And now the network is finally going to be there. Uh, that's got to feel like a real shot in the arm to the biz. Is that something that's on you guys radar at all? Or is it business as usual? Well, no, I mean, for the guys that, you know, that know the business and, and know the business end of the business, you had to know that was a huge, huge thing for the company. You know, the Canadian fans are, are awesome and they come out in droves and they enjoy wrestling. They support it. They're rabid fans. You know, they're, they're loyal, they're consistent. They're all those things. And for them to not have the network, it just was uh, insanity, and uh, we knew the numbers were going to be huge. But you know, more importantly, those fans deserve that, and they had earned it, and uh, they should have it. Well, Dallas was going to be happy because they were going to have WrestleMania. It was announced at the end of January that WrestleMania 32 was officially going to happen on April 3rd, 2016, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. And that stadium once drew 108,713 fans for an NBA game. So this is going to be the largest stadium to ever house a WrestleMania The stadium usually holds 80,000 for football, but it could be expanded to 105,000. It would wind up being announced as 101,763 fans in attendance, but that number has since been disputed when you're announcing these giant stadium shows, is there extra added expectation on creative on the talent across the board? No, I don't think so. Number one, that was a beautiful facility. Absolutely. That Dallas Stadium. My God. You know, you've been there. Yeah. Breathtaking. Breathtaking. I mean, it's almost at a, you know, it's an adult Disneyland. It's it's incredible. Uh, but I, I think once you get to the point, you know, if you're building WrestleMania and it's in a, 15,000, 18, if it's Madison Square Garden versus 100,000 plus fans at an outdoor stadium, the build, the effort, the, all the things, the creativity, you know, the excitement that comes from the crew and the people that are putting that show on, I think it's at the very same level. The fact that you're going to do 100,000 fans outdoors doesn't change your thinking at all. It's WrestleMania, it's special. You need to make it special. Um, and back in the days when it wasn't eight hours long, you would really sit down and start dissecting 
you know, your matches and, and, and what you were going to try to accomplish in that day and make it special and come out of WrestleMania bigger than you went in. There was a lot of thought process that went on creatively, I know, with the producers and the talent anyway. I hate Steven Singer. You heard me. I hate Steven Singer. You see, there's this guy in Philly you've probably been hearing about. If you've been to Philadelphia, you may have even seen the billboards, heard him on local radio. I hate Steven Singer. What does that even mean? Well, Steven Singer is the most hated jeweler in America. But why? Because other jewelers just can't stand him because he has the best Valentine's gift ever. And I'm excited to tell you about it. Steven Singer and Arn are bringing you the best Valentine's Day gift of all time. Are you listening? Picture this. A real long stem American beauty rose lavishly and deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. And this thing starts at just 59 bucks. His beautiful Valentine's day, red rose won't wilt or die. It doesn't even need water. And this is the number one gift. The woman in your life wants something unique, something special, something that lasts forever. They even come with your own personalized love note, all in Steven's signature gift box shipped for free. And again, starting at just $59, go now to, I hate Steven singer.com. See what we're talking about. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Steven singer jewelers. This is a gift she'll cherish forever. That's I hate Steven singer.com and Arn, this is a no brainer. It's only 59 bucks. It comes with free shipping, but man, it looks like it costs a lot more than $59. Does it not? Steven, I know you're listening. Set that ice cold beer down. I want you to get mine in the mail. You're going to make <laughs> me look like a genius. I don't want to get backlogged like I did at Christmas with deliveries. Let's get mine in the mail tomorrow morning. You're going to help me get over with mama. Hey, everybody wants to get over at home. Uh, and there's the old expression, uh, happy wife, happy life. Go to I hate Steven singer.com right now. You'll even see on the main page, they've got a brand new rose gold rose. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, my wife has one. My mom has one. Eric's wife has one. Sounds like Aaron's getting one. Your wife needs one too. Go to, I hate Steven singer.com. Let's talk about the rumble, but before we do, let's talk about the build on our way here on the January 5th episode of raw, we would see Cesaro and Tyson Kidd attack Kofi Kingston and Xavier woods, which let Adam Rose, uh, defeat big E. And then on the January 19th episode, we would see Big E and Kofi defeat Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. And later in the night, it was announced that New Day would face Cesaro, Kidd, and Adam Rose in a six-man elimination match on the Royal Rumble kickoff show. On January 25th, it's changed to a tag team match with Cesaro and Kidd uh, accompanied by Rose taking on Big E and Kingston uh, with Rhodes now being unable, or Woods rather, being unable to compete. So our first match on the show is Tyson Kidd and Cesaro getting a win over Kofi Kingston and Big E of the New Day. They go 10 minutes, 55 seconds. Meltzer gives it two and three-quarter stars. There's a lot to unpack here. This is before we're roughly a year into the New Day run, uh, but we're still not quite as big as the New Day is going to be. We know they've still got greater heights to climb to. Unfortunately... We're not that far away from Tyson kids in ring career coming to an end after a horrible accident in a match with Samoa Joe. And, uh, that would be the end of his in ring career. And of course, Cesaro, who we've talked about a little bit here on the show, uh, one of the unsung heroes of that roster and certainly an, an internet darling 
uh, before he joined the company. But the other member of the club here is something we haven't talked about. And that's Adam Rose and the Rosebuds Act. This comes to us from NXT. It feels like it's going to be a Triple H project. Uh, it, it winds up including a lot of people. We would see even Sammy Guevara from AEW as one of the Rosebuds. I think once upon a time, Becky Lynch was. Uh, Braun Strowman was. Uh, it, it was almost a who's who at different times. It's whoever's in developmental or whoever's in that town that day. An interesting gimmick, maybe. Maybe not the best gimmick, uh, but Adam Rose had a few gimmicks before he was sort of shown the door and, uh, we don't hear much about him anymore these days. What can you tell us about Adam Rose and the Rosebuds? Before we get to there, let me just double back because we haven't talked about this for just a second. I just want to say what an incredible tag team Cesaro and TJ were. Absolutely. I got to see them in those live events and I got to sit down with them and see them, you know, putting their teamwork stuff together, you know, and comparing notes and doing all this stuff and going out and tearing it up. That was one of the bigger tragedies of this company experienced because TJ is incredible talent. He's an incredible person. He's a smart guy. He's a, a good friend. He's a good employee. He's all those good things. And Natty will tell you, he's a great husband. And I think we had a horrible loss that probably didn't get the airtime it should have as far as what we had lost. Uh, and just showing a little more appreciation for that talented guy. And him and Cesaro were a great team. Um, and I just want to make sure everybody understands, you know, what could have been anyway, moving forward to Adam Rose and his crew. I think the idea for NXT, you know, was great. I think now we're at, you know, and this is prior to, I think NXT going on the road and, and having all the house shows that they have, weren't they just doing TV at this time? Yeah, mostly. I'm not sure if they were working the quote unquote coconut loop yet that they, that they do these days. I'm not sure. Well, that would have been drives. If it was, it sure. would have been, you know, and I'm look. I'm the point I'm trying to make is you want it to look like television, which means you're going to need 12, 15 mm. rosebuds. Everywhere you right? go. Yeah. So we're always cutting costs. We're always saying we need to save money. You know, you're you're cutting regular talent off of the roster who are losing their jobs. But you're gonna make sure you've got fifteen rosebuds at probably three to five hundred bucks. I would just estimate this three to five hundred dollars per person to be at television. To be with Adam, who I got nothing but time for Adam Rose. He was nothing but a gentleman, good worker, good employee, no no problem with Adam. But why would you invest that kind of money in a gimmick that was going to be in the first match? And then you have the, the issue of, okay, how do I get those same 15 people to the house show mm-hmm. without paying for plane tickets or rental cars or hotel rooms and all that mess? Doing that math with me as we're talking here, Conrad. Yeah, that's a real that deal. Could, could, could be a little expensive. Sure. So tells me is a bad idea. 
Well, then you strip him down. He doesn't have the rose buds. You just got Adam Rose there in the live events. Boy, do you feel like you got screwed. So it was like a no-win situation either way you went. If you just had underneath in your mind that you were going to use him, if you're sitting there, you're writing these shows down and you go, this guy's never going to be anything but first match, but it's, you know, it's, it's a way to let the audience up and just have some fun and da, 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 da. Oh, what about the expense? Hmm. You've always heard Vince didn't like tag teams. Why? Because he didn't like the double trans. Right. How's he going to like putting 10 rosebuds or 12 or 15 rosebuds with a plane ticket in their hand? Probably not going to get over so well. That's the big draw up, I, you know, drawback that I saw with it. Let's talk about the match. Uh, there's lots of interesting tag team moves here. Uh, if for whatever reason you weren't watching wrestling during this era, I'm going to co-sign what Aaron said, the Tyson kid Cesaro team, uh, man, what could have been because they were committed to working a lot of double team and, and collaborative moves together. And the result is some really cool stuff. You've probably never seen before. Um, the finish comes when, uh, we see, uh, I think we mentioned Tyson Kidd and Cesaro get the win, but Cesaro nails Kingston from the outside of the ring with a forearm uppercut and a kid winds up getting a pin after the spinning fisherman buster. And they're pushing as a result of this win, that kid and Cesaro are now in line uh, for a title match. So this is a great way to start the show. Obviously we know that, uh, the new day are going to go on to great heights, but it is an interesting, what could have been look at Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. And we know that Cesaro really hit his stride in a tag team with Sheamus, but I would even argue that it was a more fun pairing him and Tyson Kidd. It would have been more exciting because Tyson's whole style was yeah. totally different from, you know, Sheamus was a bruiser. That That's what he is. He's, he's a steamroller. Tyson. You're talking about the flip-flop and fly of today. You're talking about an acrobatic, athletic, fun-to-watch performer. That's him. And and they integrated some of that strongman stuff that Cesaro does that, you know, they'll be scratching their head on how he pulls this off 100 years from now. But it was just an incredible blend, and they just – and I know the New Day – and I know their attitudes, and they would have done everything humanly possible to have catered to all those assets that the other team had and made that a great match because that's who they are as well. So hey, it was just a good booking. It was a good booking. Right, let's keep it going. Let's talk about the next match. On the way here, though, the December 29th episode of Raw, we would see the Ascension come up from NXT and make their WWE debut. And over the next few weeks, they're getting uh, easy wins over enhancement performers in different markets. And, uh, a lot of people are drawing comparisons to the road warriors based on the look and that it's black and red. We got face paint and crazy hair. And then on the January 19th episode of raw, the Ascension is confronted and attacked by the NWO, the APA and the new age outlaws after the Ascension sort of broke up the NWO reunion segment, which you can hear about. On yesterday's Eric Bischoff's 83 weeks podcast. Anyway, later in the night, it's announced that the Ascension is going to face the new age outlaws. And this is going to happen at the Royal rumble. Um, this feels like 
a fever dream. The new age outlaws are a long time removed from being an active competition, uh, but now they're back up and running here in this era. And they're going to be taking on the Ascension here. The Ascension get the win in five minutes and 26 seconds. Meltzer would say road dog did a great job on the mic before the match. There was even a, you still got it chant. Nothing much to the match, uh, to do the gimmick. The Ascension does like the road warriors gimmick. You need big powerhouses. The problem is the outlaws, particularly Billy Gunn, are deceptively tall. So the Ascension don't physically stand out anyway. They were kind of killed at TV. And then Gunn missed the famous sir. Connor snapped his neck on the top rope and the Ascension do their uh, fall of man on Gunn. Not much heat for the match, uh, but the crowd did like the, the nostalgia act of the outlaws star and a quarter. And man, there's, uh, the old cliche talking them into the seats. When road dog came out with a mic in his hand, he was talking them out of their seats. They were on their feet. They loved this entrance back up. Pause it right there, and I will agree with you. Yes, they did. Uh, Road Dog did a great job with that, and you're talking about uh, audience participation. That was there's if you look at that in the dictionary, there's a picture of those guys. Sure. Uh, but you back up. Didn't own this build when the you know the Ascension were getting some enhancement wins over teams and stuff. Didn't. On their promos, they mentioned the Road Warriors. Yeah. There, why didn't you just go down with a couple of flaming arrows and just shoot them in the heart? Right there. Because they're dead. Why would you be talking about an iconic team that you had no chance of there being a rebuttal from? You're shooting an angle with iconic guys from the past that were special and will be remembered forever and road warriors, no matter what you think, have some kid today say, Hey, who was the coolest tag team there ever was? They're going to probably say road warriors. Right. But when you're, you know, you got to be careful on what guys say, you have to protect them from themselves when you're building a new team and these guys were fresh and they were talented, but they in no way looked like the road warriors. They just had a unique look and you don't compare them to the road warriors. You know, you got to be careful on, on promos and what guys say and what the audience will accept. And you know, you know, things like that. So it, I knew then, cause I remember sitting in the back and when they mentioned the road warriors, I went, God almighty, where's the payoff there? There isn't one. So just thought I would throw that out. Uh, you know, plus they got slaughtered pretty good on the television prior to the, to yeah. the rumble. Correct. Yeah. All those guys. Absolutely. They all took turns hitting their finish on them and made them look like absolute assholes. You all <laughs> that's getting slaughtered in my book. Yeah. You know, boy, I really want to see these guys get their ass kicked the next week. Didn't I see them thrown in a grave and cremated before they were thrown in the grave? So again, brilliance at its best, uh, which gets you to the match. And the thing about it is, you know, it's too late in the game. You certainly wouldn't have went out and steamrolled Billy Gunn and, uh, and Brian James. You just, that wasn't a thing to do. I would have suggested you had a very quick match and you had those, you know, the nostalgia team go over and go over very quick. And you got two guys stomping around the ring and, you know, the outlaws are back up the, 
you know, the ramp, it could have been 30 seconds. Boom, over, gone. Nobody got hurt. Hey, what happened here? You could have had them do their, do their stick on the mic up at the top of the ramp again with the two guys stomping around and that would have been it. And then you go back to TV and you start building them some more. That would have been an alternative. I think it was just a regular match and five minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but if you're just having a regular match, but your story last week was you getting slaughtered, there should be a little more intensity and urgency in what's trying to be, to be pulled off in this match, I think. And, uh, there you are. Let's go backstage where we see Stephanie and triple H talking and they're discussing that they have a problem with sting. And of course, Paul Heyman comes out and the place cheers him like crazy. And a decision was made. That's according to Meltzer, uh, at that point to not introduce him before the title match. And uh, Heyman tells the McMahons that Lesnar is going to answer all their problems with both John Cena and possibly as well, uh, of, of their problem with sting. Next up, we've got uh, Jimmy and Jay Uso. They're going to be wrestling the Miz and Damian Sandow. They go nine minutes and 20 seconds. This is for the tag titles. It gets three stars in the observer and Meltzer would say the crowd went crazy for Mizdow. Uh, Miz got crotched on the top rope. And then Mizdow climbed to the top rope and started selling like he was crotched. After a few more things like that, Mizdow got a standing ovation and the crowd chanted Mizdow's awesome. JBL called Mizdow the most famous stunt double since judo Jean LaBelle. Uh, Miz wouldn't tag in Mizdow. Lots of near falls. Jimmy does a dive out of the ring on Mizdow. Jay does a flip dive on Miz, but lands short and actually on the back of his head. But apparently he's fine because he gets back up and works the rest of the match. Jay kicks out of Miz's skull crushing finale. Jay does a splash off the top and, uh, Mizdow makes the save. Mizdow does the skull crushing finale on Jay, but Miz tries to steal the pin and Jay kicks out. And then Jay finishes with a sunset flip off the top rope. Jimmy tags in and pins Miz with a splash off the top rope. Three stars. So the Usos retain, they're still your tag champs. But the real story is holy shit, is Damian Sandow onto something here? I love the Usos. They're a great team. And I've, you know, moving moving ahead uh, up until the last time i had the the honor to be in an arena with them those guys were so are so good they really are but on this particular night the wrong guy went over Mizdow should have went over yeah should have had new tag champions there's gaga and there's great gaga and there's rotten gaga you know, being a old school guy, anything that I, you know, in the past I looked at is making fun of the business or demeaning the business. I was a huge proponent against that. Changed my thinking a little bit. I've tried to evolve. I've tried to look at the entertainment factor involved, i.e. Santino Morella, i.e. Ms. Dow. Those guys were phenomenal. And on this given night, they were. They were all over Ms. Dow and everywhere he went because he did such a phenomenal job. He's out there on the floor having a match with himself, with the Invisible Man. You got to appreciate that. Had those guys won the tag titles, you could have went any number of directions with them on that particular night. But again, it's like things seem to start to flame up 
that weren't necessarily planned on by the office. And other than going, oh, God almighty, what a gift. You know, we're trying to build these house shows and make everything mean something. We didn't know this thing was going to flame up like this. This, What a blessing. It's like, okay, put the fire out. We didn't talk about that. We didn't plan on it. Put the fire out. That's the that's the perception that a lot of guys that are pretty smart in the back, the producers, you know, you know, ask Fit Finley or Jamie Noble or or Mike Rotundo or any of those guys, Devon Dudley, who's got a lot of experience. Ask those guys, you know, sometimes do you feel like no matter what you do, things just don't have a chance unless they came from the creative first. You know, sometimes stuff just gets over and you never know why. You never know why it worked. I say just go with it. This was one of those situations. You had the wrong guys go over, wouldn't have hurt the Usos, but it would have sure flamed up that that deal with Ms. Dow and Ms., in my opinion. Next up, we've got the Bella Twins beating Paige and Natalia. They actually get a little time here by comparison to what we've seen in other years. Eight minutes and three seconds. Meltzer would say the match was mostly the twins working over Natalia. Natalia tried to make the hot tag, but Bree pulled Paige off the apron. Natalia then turned into a forearm across the running lights uh, of Natalia for the pin. Talk to me a little bit about the women's matches in this era. This is before everything starts to change with, you know, the women's revolution or whatever you want to call it. We know that that's going to really get taken to another level later this year, but the Bella twins, I think are probably, uh, misunderstood. I thought Nikki had pretty competitive matches and I actually miss them on TV. I thought they did a great job. And, and now I don't think a lot of fans really could appreciate what they were bringing to the table until they were gone. Let's say you. Yeah, I agree with you. And they were the beginning. They were the the flicker of the flame that was going to blow up into a huge, huge wildfire, which is the women by and large period. You know, the women were just starting to really perform and at a level, you know, Natty's a veteran. She's a workhorse, you know, great psychology work, work her ass off. I would suggest if they structured the match the way they did, it was possibly possibly that page may have been dinged up a little bit right i don't know you know they were probably trying to look after her which is just more professionalism but yeah the bellas were a good team heels or baby faces it didn't matter because there was no such thing as a heel the audience loved all the women they just they just loved them i mean why not i mean that they look awesome they can perform you know uh, they looked the part, they're stars, they're all those things. And they, you know, I would think that, uh, you know, the Bellas would probably be underrated, if anything, uh, because they could work. And I used to tell Nikki all the time, that forearm that you would snap around and hit somebody in the chin with was a finish, period, end of story. And uh, she would kind of giggle, but I said, I'm serious. If everything goes on in the match, you know, you want to say, hey, what did point to something that that sold you on the fact that was 100% legit? It was that flipper taking somebody's head off. And uh, that's the way I felt about it. 
No, I agree. It's funny that you say that move specifically because I used to annoy one of my very best wrestling friends here. We would wind up watching together. And of course he, for whatever reason was not a Bella fan. And I would compare those forearms to some of his favorite Japanese wrestlers. And it just annoyed him to no end. But I really did believe, man, this is, you know, whatever their whatever strong style means, some of these forearms are that. Uh Paige, of course, we know had her career shut uh or, or, or cut short a lot sooner than anybody would have ever imagined. But she's still hanging in there and contributing to the WWE universe. But Natalia what what's the deal with Natalia? Does she does, does somebody in the office, somebody in creative, Vince McMahon personally, she pissed somebody off. What, what's the deal? Because it doesn't feel like she's ever been given, or it's been years rather, since she's been booked, quote unquote, fairly based on her work. It, it feels like she's almost like, you know, and I know it's weird because of who uh, we were just talking about as a tag team. But she's like the female Cesaro, where everybody who's paying attention says, holy shit, man, she's a performer and a half doesn't get the break as often as maybe she deserves. Well, they're always looking for that next big star. Natty's, uh, the biggest negative about Natty is she's a great employee. She's a great performer. She's always on time. She's all those things. That's the negatives. So, <laughs> Well, let's keep it moving. Uh, the next match, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, she's a pro, whatever you want that night. Yes, sir. You know, and, uh, the squeaky wheel sometimes gets the grease and sometimes it's just the new guy on the block that gets the grease. There's probably, if you asked them and hooked them up to a lie detector test, Hey, you know, why is it, you know, she used better. They may not even have an answer. Right. You know, it's just one of those things when you're, and I know from experience, when you can go have a match with anybody, when you can get guys over and really make them look like stars, sometimes you get, that's your job assignment. Sometimes it's a great thing for longevity. That's the way I always looked at it. But sometimes it's not a good thing for making your star shine as bright as it possibly could. Next up, it's a triple threat for the WWE title. I should remind everybody at SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar defeated John Cena to win the world title or the WWE title rather. I guess they're unified here. Uh, and this is after you may remember suplex city, just a ton of consecutive suplexes. Cena gets his rematch the following month at night of the champions in Nashville. He gets a win there by DQ after Seth Rollins interferes and attempts to cash in his money in the bank contract. At the next event, Hell in a Cell, Cena would defeat Randy Orton in Hell in a Cell in a future shot against Lesnar. And then the authority uh, was removed from power after losing a five on five Survivor Series elimination match. Cena is the only person who can bring them back. At TLC, Cena would face Rollins in a tables match uh, where he would win and retain his number one contender status. And later in the event, it was announced that Cena would face. Brock Lesnar for the world title at Royal rumble on the final episode of raw in 2014, Rollins would attack uh, edge, which we've talked about. And of course, uh, he acquiesces. So the authority is back. And on January 5th, Rollins gets added to this triple threat match as a reward from triple H for helping bring the authority back. Um, let's fast forward here. It's a three-way dance. It's 22 minutes. 
It's 42 seconds. It's a really good match as as good as a, of a three-way. I think you'll see, I think this is a match that probably flies under the radar. If there's one match on this card that I'm going to recommend you go see, it's this one. Uh, Meltzer would agree. He gives it four and three quarter stars. Brock Lesnar retains, uh, quite the performance. Uh, Lesnar here, Meltzer would remark is enormous. And he says the crowd was totally into Lesnar. He came out German suplexing. He did two German suplexes on Cena and he did a double back suplex on Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury. There's lots of creative action here. Uh, they're, they're even going to get to the outside Spanish announce tables, monitors. They're pulling out all the stops. What'd you think of this one? You watched it this week, uh, for the first time on TV, probably ever. What'd you think? What an effort. What a collaboration. Um, let me just say that I'm not a big fan and uh, people that know me know this. I'm not a big fan of prostituting your finish because throughout history, what made this business make sense and what made it relative, I wouldn't say easy, but more manageable when you're trying to tell a story of a match, it's real simple. This is my finish. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to get my finish on you because when I do match is over. And my opponent is going to do the exact same thing. And if they hit me with their finish, match is over. So I've never been a big fan of prostituting your finish just for a hot shot deal. But if it ever fit in a match, this would be the one that it made some sense. Because number one, Lesnar is a monster. Not was, not could be in the future. He is a monster. And everyone understands that. And the way they structured this match, those guys, I would have hated to have woke up in any of their bodies, probably including Lesnar's, because the aggression, the violence, the high spots with Seth coming off the top and putting uh, Brock through that table, I mean, everything was just at a heightened level. And the audience being in Philly, which is a rough blue-collar town, they love violence, and they love it in large quantities. And boy, did they get it! <laughs> boy, did they get it! You know that particular night. So if you're waiting on something negative to come out of my mouth, it's not going to happen. Those guys put on a I don't know how many stars, whatever the maximum would be, but add another couple, and that's what they had that particular night. Go out of your way to watch it. It is a uh, below the radar three way because it's in the more modern era. I don't think it gets uh, maybe the credit it deserves 20 years from now. People will be talking about this like a barn burner, be ahead of the curve. Go check it out. I think you'll be glad you did. Uh, we should mention Rollins is going for the curb stomp. Lesnar gets up ducks, catches him with the F five and uh, Meltzer would describe it in three words. Absolutely fantastic match when it came time for the uh, readers of the wrestling observer to vote in the poll. It was unanimous. 100% of the votes for the best match poll was this. So this is, uh, something you don't want to miss, especially if you haven't seen it before, go out of your way to check it out. And you know what, while you're at it, go out of your way to check out bluechew.com. This episode is of course sponsored by blue chew guys. You remember the days when you were always ready to go. 
Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Bluechew.com is here to save the day. And that's blue. Like the color blue blue chew is going to bring you the first chewable with the same FDA improved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. So you can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, bluechew.com is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Bluechew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And maybe best of all, it ships directly to your door, all in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Bluetooth is prepared and shipped directly, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. No more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners just in time for Valentine's Day. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use promo code ARN, A-R-N. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. The promo code is A-R-N-ARN, and uh, you get to try it for free. Bluetooth is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And, well, they're sponsoring more than just the podcast for me and you these days, aren't they? Well, let me just say this here. About Blue Chew. Number one, the obvious performance level is so heightened when you take those things. But, Conrad, do you realize what the strongest sense that we have is of all of all of our, you know, our sense of everything? Which is the strongest one you would think? I don't know. How about sight? Would you concur with that? Uh, yes, especially for guys. Yes. Okay, so women have figured this out, and they've helped us out in this area. You know, they've figured out you put on a nice pair of high heels, makes your calves look incredible. Put on a push-up bra with a little V-neck top over the top of it. Brother, listen, you get a, you get a good shot of that and look at it. You are ready to rock and roll. So they do all these things for us to get us through our vision and through our sight and looking at them, get all worked up. Why not do the same for them? Pop a couple of those blue chew. You are immediately going to have a pup tent stuck out right in front of where your legs used to be. If that's not a visual aid, I don't know what it is. Let's repay what they've been doing for us. Pup tent city fellas. Unbelievable. Check it out. Bluechew.com. Use that promo code ARN. You'll be glad you did. Give your gimmick the hot tag. All right, let's talk about the Royal Rumble match. It's going to go 59 minutes, 33 seconds. Miz and R Truth are going to start. Um, I don't know why, but fans watching at home have always been fascinated with the increments between the different performers coming out. Sometimes they say 60 seconds, sometimes they say 90 seconds, other times they say two minutes. And no matter what they say, it's almost never what they say it is. Uh, you've ran a lot of these matches or been in the back as these matches are being, uh, sort of put together. Tell us about Titan time. Is it just somebody with a headset on saying, okay, this is starting to slow down. Send somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if they're not reacting like they should shave it 30 seconds, Yeah, that's it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's with the audience in mind. But if you totally had the audience in mind, and, and again, everything we do behind these mics, 
Conrad, let's face it, is Monday morning quarterbacking. Sure. Okay. With that in mind, why would you put Miz out there first with truth? Hadn't I already seen Miz? Yes. How hard would it be to figure out? Let's put two guys out there that I like that I haven't seen all night. I mean, I'm not the I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but God Almighty, even I can figure that out. Start with something fresh. That's it. Well, here's what's interesting. A minute and a half later, Bubba Ray Dudley comes in. Big surprise. Huge ECW chant. Of course, we're in Philly. He does the wise app with our truth playing the role of T-Von. The crowd's going nuts for Dudley. Then he tells our truth to get the table. The two hit the 3D on Miz. Uh, and Dudley throws Miz out about four minutes in. Uh, Luke Harper is going to come in. And before he gets in the ring, Dudley throws our truth out at 416. That leaves Dudley and Luke in the ring trading punches. And then Bray Wyatt comes out of the back. Uh, next up, we've got Curtis Axel, who's going to start making his way to the ring. But Eric Rowan, who's officially not supposed to be in the match, attacks Axel, throws Axel into the barricade, and quote unquote injures his shoulder. So Eric Rowan is taking his spot. And then, of all people, the boogeyman is going to come out. And at this point, we're down to Bray Wyatt and the boogeyman. So of course, Wyatt kills boogeyman dead. There's him out of here at 11 minutes and four seconds. Let's just take a pause right there and talk about what we've seen so far. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley coming back, getting the big pop in Philadelphia. I'm for it. How about you? Yep. hundred percent. I, I like the, uh, the way that we're trying to tell a story. But I don't know. I was still hopeful that they were going to do something with Curtis Axel. So Eric Rowan taking him out before he had a shot, I guess, continues the story. And the big thing they're trying to, to get over here is that Bray Wyatt is, is this monster and he's super scary. And it makes sense that he would go nose to nose with the boogeyman and come out on top. I'm for this so far with the exception of, you know, as you said, maybe let's start with somebody besides Miz. I'm liking where we are so far. I got to disagree with you on one thing. Uh, where did Eric Rowan, who had not qualified for the Rumble and was not in the Rumble legally, just insert himself and just take a guy out and just take his place? Where did he get that kind of power? Okay, I agree. Again, I'm back to being a fan and just a student of the business. People just don't insert themselves in matches. Again, remember what the prize is. Skip forward to the end of the rumble. What's the prize? You get a world title main shot, main event, WrestleMania. Main event, WrestleMania. So if that's the case, why isn't everybody in the back or ever been a wrestler that owns a pair of boots? Why aren't they bum rushing that ring and just inserting themselves in there to get the big prize? That's what Eric did. Fair enough. Again, you know, and people will say, oh, you're trying to make much, too much sense out of it. Well, not really. Sometimes just a little common sense goes a long way because it starts to get discombobulated when you just say, oh, it's just wrestling. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Our fans are a lot smarter than people think. Sin Cara comes out at 11 minutes and 27 seconds. Meltzer would say no reaction to him at all. Uh, Wyatt would hit sister Abigail on Sinkara and a 1219 Wyatt throws Sinkara over the top rope. So he made it 50 seconds. Uh, the ring is empty and Wyatt is challenging everyone in the back to come out there. Of course, nobody comes out 
And then Wyatt starts singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then Zack Ryder comes out 13 minutes, 14 seconds, but immediately he's thrown out 1402. Uh, the commentary here is Ryder looked like he'd gained a lot of muscle after having surgery to repair his torn rotator cuff. Always unique how guys get hurt and come back with slabs of new muscle. So, uh, Meltzer being critical of everything here. Uh, next up, Daniel Bryan comes in at 14 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, of course, we've been building towards something with Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt for a while. It's cool to see them in here together. Uh, Bryan does his four straight drop kicks into the corner onto Wyatt and then a Frankensteiner off the top rope. And then here's a blast from the past. Fandango comes in at 1647, followed by Tyson Kidd at 1823. Uh, Brian and Kidd actually start working some spots together. And here's a sentence we haven't talked about in a long time. Stardust was next <laughs> in at 19 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, I got to tell you, watching this back, that just sticks out like a sore thumb now, even more than it did the first time we saw it. What does stardust the outfit just, you know, we know what Cody Rhodes can do. Now he's shown the WWE himself and the world and to see him come out dressed up as miniature gold dust essentially is like, wait a minute. What? I don't know. It had just been so long since I had seen the stardust character. I kind of forgot he was in this and, uh, there he is. I know that he never was comfortable with that look, my talking to him. Sure. However, I think it did. If you just took it on face value and you didn't know who the guy was underneath and you just stood him out there and said, what do you think of this look for a guy? I thought he did a good job as far as creating the look, but he wanted and wanted to be Cody Rhodes, not Stardust. And and he would make that very clear to me all the time. Now, had Stardust got a big, been used better and pushed better, maybe he would have felt different. But I know he was not comfortable in that skin. That's for sure. Yeah, but he did, he did uh, make you believe. And uh, it's hard to believe that it's the same performer we had seen before. You know, in his different incarnations, dashing and things like that. Uh, so he made it work, but it's just, it's not what we know we're going to really know him as. Uh, Daniel Bryan would eliminate Tyson Kidd at 2105 with a back suplex over the top rope. And uh, Diamond Dallas Page, of all people, comes in at 21 minutes, 45 seconds. Meltzer would say Page, who came out wearing a shirt advertising his DDP yoga classes, hit the diamond cutter on Stardust. He did a diamond cutter taking Fandango off the top rope, which got a big pop. Then he hit a diamond cutter on Bray Wyatt. So another legend here. We've seen Boogeyman. We've seen Bubba Ray Dudley. Now we've got DDP. Uh, this is sort of a fun, way more fun than I remember because of the finish. I think it just leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But so far, not a bad rumble. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the one of the big draws of the rumble are having guys that you figure are not going to win it, but you forget about Right. And maybe, you know, maybe guys that were over, you know, in previous eras and stuff, you know, that that's part of the fun of the rumble. I think when that, when that buzzer goes off, not knowing who's coming through the curtain is a, 
the anticipation is the key to that. And, and you certainly build that with the rumble. Rusev is in next at 2354. He's a sidekick throws DDP out at 2431. Then he throws out Fandango six seconds later. And then Rusev gives Brian a sidekick and Wyatt throws Brian out at 2531. Meltzer would say crowd was real mad and started turning on the match. And it's obvious at this point. Goldust is in next at 26 minutes, but the crowd doesn't care. They're chanting for Daniel Bryan, realizing he was eliminated. They have effectively turned completely on the match. Stardust teases throwing out Goldust, and then Goldust slaps Stardust in the face, and they start going at it. Another Daniel Bryan chant. And then Kofi Kingston would come out, and they are heavily booing Kingston and uh, chanting for Daniel Bryan. Adam Rose comes out 29 28. He's going to launch Kingston over the top rope or Rusev would rather, uh, but all the rosebuds catch him and throw Kingston back in. So uh, there's usually a fun spot for Kofi to tease an elimination. And this is it here. Uh, the, the clever ways he would come up with was always a, a high spot. And Meltzer would say this crowd didn't want to see him. And aside from that spot, uh, which he wasn't doing something spectacular as opposed to simply getting caught by a bunch of people and thrown back in. He did nothing here. Rusev throws out Rose at 30 minutes and 31 seconds. I guess the story is that Rosebuds in theory could have saved him, but because they were saving Kingston, they're out of position. And, um, Rusev would place Kingston on the apron, kick him out 31, 37. Now the crowd is chanting for Lesnar because they're in love with him. Uh, Reigns throws out Goldust at 32, 37, and then he throws out Stardust at 32, 40. And now we're getting one of our crowd favorites back. Damien Mizdow is in next, uh, but Miz stops him, tells him to go to the back. Mizdow pie faces Miz to the floor and the crowd is now behind Mizdow. And this is the first time the crowd comes alive since Daniel Bryan was eliminated. And then of course, Rusev throws Mizdow out 3601. Meltzer would say that was a big mistake. Now the crowd is furious and it was for no reason since there was so much negativity to the fans. In regard to the booking and the big picture, you didn't need to do this here. Uh, Jack Swagger would come in at 36-34, then Ryback at 38-20. Ryback is throwing people around, but he's had a little bit of an internet feud with CM Punk, and the crowd is chanting for CM Punk. Kane comes in at 40 minutes and 3 seconds. Dean Ambrose comes in at 41-30. Titus O'Neil comes in at 43-04. And uh, Reigns and Ambrose go to do a double clothesline. So he can immediately get over trying to meet or break Santino Morella's two second rule. The problem is he can't take the bump all the way over instantly. So it goes over on the second try and allegedly, according to the reports, Vince McMahon was furious over the spot that was supposed to be perfectly timed screwing up. Uh, bad news. Barrett is in at 44, 53 Cesaro at 46, 49. He's throwing those, uh, European uppercuts all over the place. Rusev uh, drop kicks Big E off the apron to eliminate him at 4816. Big Show comes out at 4840 and everyone's attacking him. He does the big roar spot. Everyone goes flying. And now the crowd is booing everyone and everything. Um Kane is gonna choke Ambrose and Show is gonna choke uh choke slam Roman Reigns. Show and Kane push right back over the top at 4932. Show then throws out Swagger at 49.40. He's going to choke slam Rusev, who rolls under the bottom rope to the floor. 
He stays there the rest of the match. And then at number 30, Dolph Ziggler comes out and a lot of people are actually expecting it would be the rock. Uh, the rock had gotten on Instagram the night before showing that he was in fact in Philadelphia. And then just before the show, Vince McMahon posted on Twitter, a photo of the rock with his mother next to the ring. Meltzer would say, so let's figure this one out. If rock was going to be there, shouldn't they have advertised it ahead of time and taken advantage of it? And if the idea was to make it a surprise, then they shouldn't have done that. Instead, they leaked it to where the hardcores in the building would know. So they were waiting for it and he wouldn't get the surprise reaction, but the casual audience that he could draw in didn't know. So they didn't order it until the next day at best. And that's great. Except the people who would have ordered it, if they known he was there, many of them probably weren't going to pay to watch a stream on tape. Uh, Ziggler would then super kick show Kane and Wyatt. He does the double DDT on show and Kane and a 5101. He super kicks Barrett off the apron. So he's eliminated. Cesaro gives Ziggler a giant swing and clothesline him, but Ziggler stays on the apron. Eventually Ziggler would super kick Cesaro out at 5201. He's going to come off the top rope into a knockout punch by big show though. And then show and Kane would throw Ziggler out like nothing at 5252. And they announce here that Kane has broken the record for the most career eliminations. Uh, and then show, uh, knocks out Wyatt and throws him out at 53, 15. And this leaves Kane and show on one side, Ambrose and reigns on the other, uh, show would choke slam Ambrose and show and Kane then throw him out. So now we're down to three and with Ambrose gone, the crowd has figured out Roman reigns is going to win and they are booing and chanting bullshit. Show tries to throw Kane out. Show and Kane start shoving and go at it. He's got a brawl with Kane, and uh, eventually you can use your imagination. Reigns throws both out 57 14. The bell rings and the crowd starts booing like crazy. And the fans on the side where Rusev was laying the entire time start chanting, We want Rusev, knowing he wasn't eliminated which screwed up the finish because nobody was supposed to remember that Rusev was never thrown out and it was supposed to be a surprise a minute later when Michael Cole was to discover it when Rusev attacked show and Kane get back in the ring and attack reigns and double choke slam him. Rock comes in, hits a spine buster on Kane, a people's elbow and rock bottom show. And then Rusev runs in to jump reigns, but Reigns spears him and dumps him out at 59:33. This leaves Roman reigns as the winner celebrating with the rock which feels like it would be a Kodak moment, but the place is booing like crazy. Um, Meltzer would say rock was not at all happy by this from a creative booking standpoint. This was easily the worst Royal rumble ever star in three quarters. Uh, this is so negative that hashtag cancel WWE network would trend number one worldwide on Twitter right after the event, just unbelievable that, that hashtag canceled WWE network would be a thing, but here it is. What'd you think? I'm just sitting here listening to you describe all this. <clears throat> Again, we're Monday morning quarterbacks. Sure. We're geniuses, but, but I also know in the rumble, when you're back there and you're sitting on the headset and you know what's coming, there's a certain thing called ad-libbing. 
that is a lost art in our industry, which is what everything used to be based on, period. It was all ad lib. You didn't set up a bunch of stuff in advance. You went out and you just listened to the audience, felt the audience, tried some stuff. If it didn't work, you tried some other stuff. And you finally kept going until you found something that worked. Well, you're sitting back there on that headset and the crowd dies and Ms. Dow comes down and they pop. Don't you think somebody sitting in the gorilla position would have had the authority to go, we're calling an ad lib audible here for the next four or five guys we send down, have Ms. Dow eliminate them right away. Now, I'm trying to remember that cast of characters that came down after that, but it was, was it Swagger and Ryback, some of those guys? Yeah, after Ms. Dow, it was Swagger, Ryback, Kane, Ambrose, O'Neill, Bad News. Let's just say it was Bad News, O'Neill, and uh, Swagger, and Ryback. If that was the audible you called, and he just eliminated those guys. Quickly, one, two, three, four, boom, we're calling an audible here. You would have gotten that audience back, I think, other than just cream him, right? Get rid of him. Ms. Dow? No, I agree. It it would have turned it for a little while, for sure. Uh, And And now now I'm just moving forward here. Hear me out. That would have just been one little chink that you could have changed to get the crowd back. Now the biggie. Here's the biggie. You knew who the hot guy was in town, yeah. Daniel Bryan. If you would have gotten it down to maybe Daniel was the, say there's 11 spots left, he comes in maybe, and the point I'm trying to get to was from the point he comes in, say you've got, 10 of your heaviest hitters out there with Roman. If Daniel and Roman worked together and eliminated all those guys. Now I'm not saying bing, 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 bing. I'm saying, make it make sense. And over the course of time, you see they're eliminating each guy. And I start to figure out, Hey, it's going to come down to those two guys. That's where they're heading it. They want to settle it between the two of them. They eliminate show and Kane as the last two, but it's the two of them working together because I watched it. It it didn't look plausible to me the way Roman dumped those two guys over. Now Roman Reigns is a pro. He does all the right things. He's Good-looking guy, good-looking, is a great athlete. He's a great businessman. He's done nothing but what's been asked of him. You know, this would have helped Roman and those guys working together, and now you eliminate Kane and Big Show, and now those two are looking at each other. And you give them five minutes, and they start slugging it out, and he's got to work for it, but Daniel Bryan eliminates Roman. Okay. Uh, maybe you have Roman slide back in. You think, okay, the shit's going to hit the fan. You already have your winner. 
here comes the bad guys back in, whoever you designate to jump on Roman. You slide in the rock and maybe the three of those guys make a little comeback on the bad guys and clear the ring. And you have a feel good moment between the three. I think rock should have been a surprise. If you haven't drawn your house by that afternoon, you're thinking you're going to get a bunch of buys by having rock on social media. I think your, your big, bigger payoff is to have him totally as a surprise at the show, but that's just me. But you could have had one television later, Roman come out to congratulate Daniel Bryan. And right there is where you pulled the trigger. Roman Reigns should have beat the crap out of Daniel Bryan. Now you had a, a full heel. Roman is a heel. He's a Samoan ass-kicking machine. He should probably still be a heel from when the, the uh, in my opinion, again, the Shield were together. Because when they were together, they were magic. But they got flip-flopped, heel babyface, so many times and turned on each other so many times that it just quit being plausible or believable that they could get back together after all the shit they've been through. You know, and I think Roman, when he was with the authority, they could have broke those guys off away from them, left them heels. God, they could still be running his heels. But uh, I think it should have came down. You should have given the audience exactly what they wanted that night, which was Daniel Bryan. Um, went in the Royal Rumble. It's uh, it's an interesting I, show to go back and watch, and it's even better when you hear, you know, someone in with your resume say what so many of us fans were thinking. I know you're scratching your head, thinking I've lost my mind sitting over here. No, I'm sure. No, we're all. I think everyone listening would agree with you. It's just one of those things when it is so crystal clear as to what the lifeblood of our industry is, and that's the fans. They are the lifeblood of what we do, and when they tell you this is what I want, damn it, give it to them. It's not brain surgery. Give them what they want. And, be, and we're, you know, there was a room full of people smart enough that if we gave them what they want, now we can add the layers to it. Because we've given them what they want. It's easy from there. It's uh, pretty fascinating, you know, what would happen in the fallout here. The uh, the cancellation page for the WWE Network has so much traffic, it actually crashes. And some subscribers are calling WWE to cancel, and they're told to try tomorrow because too, too many people are trying to manually cancel their subscription online right now that the servers have crashed. And four days later, the WWE would announce a new promotion for the network where subscribers could watch for free for the month of February because they had lost so many subscribers. Um, but before they, uh, they revealed that they post their most recent subscriber count saying that they had finally surpassed 1 million subscribers. This is before all the cancellations. And based on that news, the stock would increase from $10 and 48 cents a share to $12 and 50 cents a share and 10 times the usual volume trades hands that day based on the increase. 
So people are trying to buy in and the company stock based on this report of it going past a million for the first time. The value of the company goes from 790 million to 943 million. So an incredible bump here, even though the fans think they got it right to the point that later this month on a conference call, Vince McMahon would be asked about the hashtag cancel WWE network trend on Twitter. And he said the controversy was in fact good for WWE and Vince labels it as a vocal minority upset that the babyface did not win and that Santa Claus didn't come on that pay-per-view, but he expected those who complained are going to still watch WWE anyway. And, uh, they're not done pissing people off, I guess, because the next month, February, they hold a poll on their own WWE.com and ask fans, who do you think is more deserving of headlining WrestleMania 31, Daniel Bryan or Roman Reigns? And 86% of the people vote for Daniel Bryan. It feels like it's just a lay down, easy decision here, Arn, and WWE just got it wrong. Well, with that information, when you go as so far as to, okay, let me just cut through the bullshit and let's just see it, make it a popularity contest. Which should, which should, uh, is more deserving Roman or Daniel Bryan. And you get it reaffirmed with those kind of numbers. And then you just go the other way anyway. That sounds like just doing it cause you can, doesn't it? It does. It does. And it makes me wonder, you know, does Vince McMahon do it to spite the audience? What, what do you think? Is he disconnected uh, enough where he just thinks, God damn it. They don't know what they want. I, I know what they want. Or does he know what they want and think, well, fuck them. They're going to watch anyway. And this is what I want to do. 86% says Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Well, piss on that. Go with Roman. <laughs> it's, it's that feeling of all powerful. Said this before, when you have all the money that your great, great, great grandchildren will need to be multi, multi, multi millionaires. When that is all secured, the next thing is power. And that's what was put into place. Making money and making money for your uh, stockholders, you know, is that second to just doing what you want? Because when all those things fall in line together, seems like, you know, it, you should have just did the right thing where your audience is concerned. That's just me as a fan going, God, what the hell? If there was an announcement, you know, if I'm watching Andy Griffith, which I go back to this because I love Andy Griffith and I know I'm a thousand years old, but if Randy was in a car wreck and you took him off the show and there was a disclaimer at the bottom of that first show, Andy will not be appearing for the next 11 weeks on Andy Griffith. You're going to tune in to see the drunk and Barney? Don't think so. No. Okay. So when they're telling you what they want, give them what they want. Well, the, uh, 
wrestling observer readers did a poll. They got 19.7% thumbs up 47.4% thumbs down 32.9% thumbs in the middle, but the Royal rumble overwhelmingly won the worst match poll. You watch this show back. What'd you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Other than that triple threat, I think there were a lot of mistakes made. We, uh, you know, go ahead. the triple, triple threat, you know, stood alone. If you go back and, you know, it should be a feature somewhere. Shit. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. And it's just, I think the rock and what he means to this industry and, and to the entertainment world period, there should have been more thought on putting him in a shine position on that show where he created a need where he's needed and have him be the rock along with the other two guys that you're wanting to push Daniel and, and, uh, Roman and let those guys create a scenario where those guys all look good together. Um, Rusev sliding in at the end and getting thrown out was probably pretty damn anticlimactic. I would think. Not his fault, but right. just the way it was structured. Right. Let's talk about some That's- of the questions we got on Twitter. We took to Twitter and said, Hey, if you guys have a question for the show, by all means, ask us. And you can ask a question to Arn next week. Just go follow us right now at the Arn Show. Uh, David Myers writes in, Do you think the office was completely caught off guard with the huge backlash against Roman Reigns? Had Arn, any agents, or anyone else warned them about the possibility? Well, yeah, we talked about it all the time. I mean, it's some guys can go out and handle a six minute promo and by and large, most other people, and I'm saying most can't. And if it was something that was scripted beforehand that I had to memorize like cramming for a test and go out and pretty much do it word for word. I don't know that in a day's time I could do that. And I considered myself a pretty fair hand at one time on promos, but they put that burden on a guy that didn't need to be attempting it. And that's Roman along with a lot of other guys. You know, Roman is the kind of guy you look at him and you go, holy shit. I don't know who that is, but that's somebody. And uh, if he gives you one or two or three very convincing lines, that's about all he needs to do. He don't need to do a lot of talking. And um, I think Roman, who is a heel, and I think his his benefit to the industry is a red-hot heel without doing a lot of talking. Um That's where he should have been, and the boss was determined to make him the lead babyface that was going to be drawing all the money and selling all the merch, and no matter what. And so even though there were a lot of of nights we would tell him, hey, there's, you know, he's winning over some of the kids, but the adults don't like him, there was a reason the adult males didn't like Roman. 
because when he came out, they looked at their girlfriend and her jaw was on the floor and her eyes were popped out of her head and it was immediate heat. They were going gaga over this guy. I mean, he's a handsome guy. He looks like a freaking movie star. Um, you know, and there was some booing going on, but it was just one of those things that he's... He, when you get pushed as hard as a guy gets pushed, and it's not his fault, but Roman was pushed pretty hard, the audience sniffs that out, and they go, ah, he hasn't earned it. He hasn't been around as long. He didn't do the 10 years on the indie circuit like Daniel Bryan, and they start sorting through who's earned what, and once they establish in their minds that a guy has not earned the push he's getting – they turn on him. And I think that's what happened. It's fascinating to me that, you know, that's so obvious to the fans. I mean, that, that is the situation. I think most fans think, oh, he was given everything and he didn't have to work as hard. And you know, he just wasn't their underdog that they wanted. And when they didn't get it two years in a row, because that's what they wanted. They wanted Brian in 14. They wanted him again in 15. He got it neither time. His, his, uh, he's done a great disservice with the fan base. And I don't know that, I mean, do you think Roman Reigns will ever shake loose of the hate? I mean, the, the, we've never really talked about this, you and I, but John Cena dealt with more of this than anybody. He never did anything wrong. He was always the baby face and fans just decided, you know, Hey, we don't like the guy. And it feels like they're doing it now with Roman Reigns and have for several years. Yeah. And it's just so unfair. You know, I went around and uh, watched Roman wrestling, Braun Strowman, a heel Braun Strowman, a monster Braun Strowman, and house shows probably for, gosh, I, I don't know, but I was so fortunate to have all those house show loops. I want to say it was probably six or eight weeks in different markets and different areas of the country. Um, and Roman, for 25 minutes, would go out there and get his ass handed to him by Braun Strowman. He created and did the best job of anybody I've seen at creating that monster, Braun Strowman. And, I mean, he just kept fighting for his life and got his ass handed to him. And the kids were screaming for Roman. And at the end, the adults were screaming for Roman because he was in this underdog scenario where he was fighting for his life against insurmountable odds. And Braun, who's a pretty quick study, had his act together, you know, on his end of being the monster. And he just kept shutting Roman down and shutting him down and shutting him down. I think it's so unfair. Anybody that that doesn't think he's earned his position needs to watch this. And watch some of those matches because he earned it that night alone. I just think people have wanted him in a different role. And, uh, you know, again, I think the Shield guys have been flip-flop so much. It's wishy-washy. You know, who really are those guys? You can't trust them. You never know. You know, they're liable to kill each other or anybody else. I mean, there's how many switches back and forth between heel and babyface. The audience, if they can't, if they don't really know what you're about, if they can't trust anything that you say or do for fear of the next week, that they're going to completely 
change their point of view, the talent, then, you know, if they don't know what they got, it's hard to get over under those situations. And uh, I think that's been a part of it as well. Do you think they miss the boat by, you know, when, when they see the reaction that Lesnar's getting and Heyman's getting and they see just the natural reaction the audience has to Roman Reigns, did they miss the boat by not embracing that and just letting Roman go on as a heel from here on? What do you got to lose? Right. You know, there's all those rules. You can just take Lesnar, and I know he's special, and he is. But there's always that, that that and I've even, you know, said this before, not saying that it was my feelings, but just letting you know it exists. One of the rules is if a guy couldn't talk, you could never use him as your top guy. That was like a cardinal rule of the business. If a guy couldn't talk, you could only he could use him so high up the card. He was never going to be the guy that got him in the building. He had to be able to talk. Lesnar don't talk. Lesnar has never been a babyface. He's never been anything other than exactly what he is. Now, he he got cheered a lot of nights when he was in the ring with, with Ambrose, who was the babyface, Cena, who was the babyface. Randy Orton would have even been the babyface, I would think. You know, in all these matches, and and they still cheer for Lesnar. Doesn't mean he's a babyface. They just respect that when he comes through the curtain, you know what you got. There's no nothing is going to change from what you've seen over the last however many years. He's a killing machine, and that's what you're going to get, and that's what you expect, and that's what you pay for. You don't have to pay for anything this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. And please go hit the subscribe button on our YouTube. It's the cheapest and easiest way to support our show. It's youtube.com forward slash the orange show, or just type in orange show on youtube.com. Click that subscribe button. And uh, you'll also be able to recommend uh, different clips to some of your friends who maybe aren't so sure if they need another wrestling podcast in their life. Lots of little snack size bites in our YouTube channel. And of course the full episodes as well. It's orange show on youtube.com. Hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter too, because next week we're getting back to hashtag ask anything. You can ask about Royal rumble 2015 or anything you want. In fact, just follow us on Twitter right now for free at the orange show. Love to have your interaction there. And I look forward to picking Orange Brain next Tuesday and every Tuesday right here on Westwood One. Tell a friend that the best new wrestling podcast around is Arn only on Westwood One. Oh, and hey, before we get out of here, you need to go to IHateStevenSinger.com. They're going to make Valentine's Day easy because they've got the absolute best Valentine's Day gift possible this Valentine's Day. Of course, we're talking about a real long stem American Beauty Rose that's been deeply and lavishly dipped in. 24 karat gold, man. And it starts at only 59 bucks with free shipping. You get to include a personalized love note comes in a really cool box. What are you waiting for? This is a no brainer. It looks like it costs a lot more than $59. Uh, and it is a gift that she will cherish forever. You see, the trouble is you can send flowers, but they're going to die, but not this one. It'll never will. It'll never die. You never have to water it. It's special. It unique. It's unique and it will last forever. Go see it for yourself right now. And I hate Stevensinger.com. That's I hate Stevensinger.com. 
This is the gift she really wants. And it starts at just 59 bucks right now. And I hate Steven singer.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen to twenty? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.